2: Hello, I'm Zainab Badawi and welcome to this BBC World News Intelligence Squared debate coming to you from the very heart of Hong Kong. And you know what is the first for Intelligence Squared? We have an all-female panel. So, surprise, surprise, our topic today has a female-related theme – You know, everywhere in the world, professional women are really breaking the barriers. There are more female executives than ever before. The number is rising, admittedly, from a low base, but it does show that the glass ceiling is being broken. But can a woman enjoy a glittering and successful career and be a great mother too? Well, that is our motion. The hand that rocks the cradle cannot rock the boardroom. And we have a terrific panel today two speakers against the motion and two speakers for the motion and we also have a great audience here who are also going to be uh, giving us their points of view and questions so arguing for the motion deborah spar president of barnard college in the united states and Alison pearson award winning british journalist and writer and against the motion helena morrissey Top CEO, and wait for this, mother of nine children. And also, Chinese billionaire Shang Xin. So that is our panel. Welcome to you all. So, our first speaker for the motion, the hand that rocks the cradle, cannot rock the boardroom, is Deborah Sparr, president of Barnard College. Now, that's a liberal arts college affiliated to Columbia University in the United States. She's written many books, but her book, Wonder Women, Sex, Power and Perfection, it has a central message that women should stop trying to be good at uh, everything. Thanks for that tip, uh, Deborah. And Deborah is a very uh, vocal proponent of women education and leadership, and previously she was a professor at Harvard Business School. So, Deborah, please come to the podium. Your time starts now.
1: The hand that rocks the cradle cannot rock the boardroom. Let me repeat. The hand that rocks the cradle incontrovertibly cannot rock the boardroom. This isn't sexism. This isn't conservatism. It's simply math. A nursing mother will spend, on average, 18 hours a week simply feeding her newborn. Then, unless she has full-time help, common in some parts of the world but not most, she will spend an additional 40 hours a week tending to the household chores that tend to attach themselves to small, helpless creatures. In addition, our average woman will probably spend countless hours taking care of an older child or two, going to doctor's visits, clothes shopping, playdates she will probably be spending additional hours that we won't bother counting looking after a spouse who might as well be looked after because she can barely find time to get out of the house. Maybe a Wonder Woman can make the math work if she's working 33 hours in the home and maybe even as much as 40 hours a week if she has a very predictable or very flexible job and, again, she is Wonder Woman. But as CEO, the chair of a publicly traded corporation, the head, quite frankly, of any major enterprise, it's simply not possible, or at least highly, highly unlikely. Now, clearly, there are many forces at play here. Discrimination, sadly, is alive and well. But at the end of the day, The dominant reason, and in fact, I think the scariest reason why we don't see more mothers among the ranks of these leadership positions, is that these leadership positions are simply not 35-hour-a-week jobs. They are not 40-hour-a-week jobs. Being a CEO or being in a position where one is able to rock the boardroom in the vernacular of this debate is a 50 or a 60 or a 70-hour-a-week job with, in addition, international travel, sudden and unmovable deadlines, and that global plague known as the international conference call. Now, there are some logical flaws in what I've just laid out. Women can, can find or hire somebody to rock that cradle for them. And if they are willing to hire a cradle rocker, Then they can rock the boardroom. That cradle rocker can be a nanny, if they have the means to do so. It can be a mother-in-law, if that works for the family. It (laughs) It can be a partner, again, if that works for the family. But in any case, this cradle rocker that the mother acquires or hires has to truly be the primary cradle rocker. Finally, women can also choose, and this is a very legitimate choice, not to have children and to concentrate instead on their boardroom activities. In all of these cases, though, the underlying constraint crucially does not change. If they want to stay in the boardroom or get to the boardroom quickly, women and men cannot at the same time be rocking the cradle. This is not, again, a matter of skills or preferences or biology, but rather just that at the end of the day, there simply are not enough hours in the day. Bearing this in mind, the sheer mathematical impossibility of anyone, man or woman, being able to simultaneously rock the cradle and the ballroom, I ask you please to join me in supporting the proposition before you. Thank you.
2: Deborah, thanks very much indeed. Deborah's father nailing her colours to the mast in this debate. All right, against the motion, we now have Helena Morrissey. She is CEO of Newton Investment Management. She's also founder of the 30% Club, which aims to get 30% of women in British boardrooms by the end of next year. But the key thing is, and we all want to know how she did it, is she is not only a top CEO, she's also the mother of nine children. Helena, how do you do it?
0: I am definitely not Wonder Woman, but I think, I hope that I am um, pretty strong evidence, if not incontrovertible proof, that you can rock the cradle and rock the boardroom. Although I've never actually tried rocking it, it's got to be said. But anyway... um, I think uh, if I might pick up on one point just before I get on to my um, topics that I wanted to discuss, um, this idea that you have to do everything all of the time and this idea of the mathematical impossibility – I think that you're uh, setting our expectations too low. And I have found that a lot of women in particular restrict themselves by actually worrying and agonizing and spending a lot of their hours uh, thinking about all the things they can't do. Whereas actually we are all capable, men and women, of doing a whole lot more. I feel, I felt a bit dispirited when I saw the title of the debate, I have to admit. um, The idea of setting, uh, of fueling doubts Um, the idea of continually challenging uh, sort of where we've got to with working mothers and working women, um, that you can't try or or achieve both. And I would rather that we spent our energies on how, and how we make life and work work for parents um, and others as well um, in the modern era. What we've seen of late, in, uh, particularly in the UK, but in some other parts of the world, because obviously this is a global issue, is a real energy now around trying to change the place of work to encompass other aspects of people's lives. It really works for me because of technology. Um, I will be the first to admit that I don't work the longest working hour in the day, I am very disciplined about when I leave um, for home. Obviously, when I'm in Hong Kong, that's slightly difficult. Um, but I am very disciplined about trying to get home to have a family supper. And then as, as I need to, um, my company is owned by an American bank. Um, then I make some time for work later on in the evening. And each time of the day, I'm dipping out of not just the work, but the 30% Club, um, which is achieving um, a lot of success in terms of accelerating the pace of change, and, of course, my family. And it isn't an either-or. It isn't a one or the other. And I'm not prescribing one or the other for people. What I have decided to do is very much a personal choice. I certainly wouldn't be prescribing necessarily nine children as a sensible way forward for everybody. Um, although it would seem it afterwards if you want to have any thoughts on that. But, you know, it can work. It can work. I'm happy, I feel fulfilled, it is enjoyable, I have an amazing family, I have an amazing husband who does support me, and I have an amazing company who recognizes that my contribution comes through the bottom line, not am I sitting in one office uh, 24 hours of the day. So I would urge you um, very passionately that if you don't want to create a setback For women today, if you don't want to fuel the doubts, if you don't want to have our generation, and I'm 47, very much part of a transition generation, our mothers tend to be at home, our daughters expect to go out to work. We're in that that dangerous um, zone when there isn't a very clear societal norm and where we have to set an example that isn't just for our own fulfillment but is for economic growth, is for the sake of our children and their ambitions and also is ultimately um, for other women who see that things can be done without making that big choice uh, between family or work. So I would like to encourage you very firmly to oppose the motion to encourage young women coming up behind us to see that you both can rock the cradle nine times if you really want to um, and be a CEO. Thank you.
2: Helena Morrissey, there, thank you very much indeed, with a rallying cry to the younger generation. Very brave of you to admit that you are 47. You don't look a day over 37. Okay. Helena, there we go. Clearly, doing something right. Okay, for the motion, the hand that. I'm not going to tell you my age, incidentally. Do you know what? I never mind if anybody asks me how old I am, because I'm quite prepared to lie. But anyway. Um, For the motion, the hand that rocks the cradle cannot rock the boardroom, we have Alison Pearson. She's an award-winning journalist for Britain's Daily Telegraph newspaper. And her novel, I Don't Know How She Does It, was translated into more than 30 languages and sold over 4 million copies. It was also made into a Hollywood film of the same name, starring Sarah Jessica Parker. And it's a heartbreaking story of a woman who struggles with work and motherhood. And Alison herself does campaign a great deal for better paternity rights to help women gain true equality. But clearly, you don't think we've got there yet because you are arguing for the motion. Alison, your time starts now. Thank you.
3: Hello, everyone. In case you're wondering, I'm still 38 after all these years. Um, This is an amazing time to be a woman. Exactly a century ago... My grandmother left her small village school in Wales and was, became a very junior maid in a large house. Like Cinderella, every morning she got up and she cleaned the ashes from every fireplace in that big house. She was 13 years old. My daughter, her great granddaughter, is 18 and is presently applying to some of the best colleges in America. So what on earth am I doing here today telling you that the hand that rocks the cradle cannot rock the boardroom? You know, it would be so lovely to say to all the young women in the audience, if you work incredibly hard and achieve, you can have it all. I've seen too many women run onto the rocks of stress and unhappiness to tell you that. We have been allowed to do our father's and our grandfather's jobs, but we have retained our mother's responsibilities. Most of us still live with men who think that the toilet paper is restocked by the toilet paper fairy. (laughs) Clean socks and underwear appear mysteriously in men's drawers. Children's dental appointments book themselves. The fridge is stocked by unseen hands. And then your husband asks you, Darling, what have we got my mother for her birthday? That's the woman who has to remember everything in addition to the stuff she carries around in her head from the day job. Women carry the puzzle of family life in our heads. We just do. I remember a business trip I went on years ago when my kids were still very tiny. And as I was leaving the house, I handed my husband a list of all the tasks he would have to take care of while he was away. Anthony looked totally bewildered for a while. And then he said, but it looks like a plan for invading a small country. (laughs) And you know he was right in a way, because every mother in this room, every mother in Hong Kong, every mother in Hampshire, Honolulu, Honduras, Hyderabad, runs a small country called home. She is its health minister and the secretary of state for homework and in in charge of policing unsuitable boyfriends. (laughs) which is where I am at the moment. No, you cannot go out with a mechanic who has a dragon tattoo on his nose. (laughs) So we all of us look in the glossy magazines and we see these fantastic women who are having it all. You know, she's with one hand, she's running her corporation. With the other hand, she's rocking the double buggy with the triplets in it, you know. Um, She has, of course, a perfect adoring husband who is really, really happy that his wife is working 70 hours a week and is too exhausted to have sex with him. (laughs) Is he really happy? No, he's not really happy. So let me tell you, those women at boardroom level are not having it all. When I wrote a novel called I Don't Know How She Does It, I spoke to hundreds of women, high-achieving women, who were trying to juggle their career and their family. And what did they tell me privately? They give you a very different story in public. What did they tell me privately? The women said that they were failing to meet their own high standards at work and at home. They were neglecting their own health, shockingly. You'd be amazed how many women will see to everybody else's health first and leave their own to the end. One banker, I love this, said to me that it would be safer to come out as a cocaine addict in her firm <laughs> than as a mother. She said, at least, they, at least they have a program for drug addicts, she said. <laughs> motherhood, motherhood is a lifelong and incurable condition, and so it is. So as long as the women stayed childless and married to their job, their careers prospered. Once they had a baby or two, and two, three is the real killer, that's when you get into trouble, it becomes a different story. 96% of female graduates from the top college in France said that having children or being of childbearing age was a huge obstacle to career progression. That women can see on the other side of that fable glass ceiling, and they ask themselves, why would I want to do that? Do I want to bring life into this world and not be around to nurture it? Do I want to be like the advertising CEO who reads bedtime stories to her daughter over Skype? Women have changed enough. Over the past half century, we have done our best to become men, to fit in with a workplace designed by men for the convenience of men. Now work needs to change to suit women. Ladies, we need full credit for the remarkable unpaid job of running that small country called home. And until that glorious day, I'm sorry, but the hand that rocks the cradle cannot rock the boardroom. Thank you.
2: Thank you very much indeed, Alison. Crikey, for such a cheery personality. You're a bit of a pessimist, aren't you, Alison Pearson? (laughs) All right. Thank you, um, Alison. Now um, we have uh, against the motion. Our speaker is a, a real rags to riches story. Shang Xin uh, started out working 12-hour shifts in a sweatshop, but is now one of China's richest women. She was named by Forbes magazine as one of the world's top self-made billionaire women. She's CEO of Soho China, the largest real estate developer in Beijing. And Xin is also very deeply involved in philanthropy and trying to uh, alleviate poverty. And Xin, I think you've got something like an impressive 7 million followers on Weibo, which is the um, Chinese equivalent of Twitter. So, uh, at least 7 million now, anxiously waiting to hear what you're going to say. So, uh, Shin, please come and take the stage. Thank you.
4: Well, ladies and gentlemen, I'm the CEO of Soho China. It's a public trader company. We're the largest real estate developer in offices in China. And I'm under just as much pressure to perform as any other CEO And at the same time, I'm a mother of two very demanding boys. And I can say I'm almost always home for breakfast and dinner. This is all done not because I'm a superwoman. All this is possible because I have a tremendously supportive husband who is here tonight. Can we give him a round of applause? And I have a very capable assistant who run my life by the minutes. It may come with its challenges, but I, as I would like to convince you all today, women who are excellent mothers are just as capable, if not better suited, better qualified than men to command the boardroom, physically, emotionally, and intellectually. Physically. Physically, women are perfectly capable of leadership. The idea that women cannot be capable business leader is obsolete and old fashioned. This comes from the old thinking in hunting and gathering and agriculture societies. It is primitive and it is absolutely irrelevant in the current corporate environment. Intellectually, from an intellectual standpoint now, women in many countries are getting equal education to men. For Chinese women, over 50% of college graduates are girls. Now, in recent years, we're seeing increasing numbers of women taking up leadership roles. Outstanding leaders like Angela Merkel, Hillary Clinton, uh, Marissa Samea and um, Indra Nui, so many, many more. They are clearly demonstrating they're every inch intellectually equal to their male counterparts. Emotionally, this is probably the most controversial area for debate. Many people would argue women do not have the emotional toughness to deal with the corporate environment. I can assure you that emotionally women are naturally resilient and they are able to adapt to the boardroom environment. Boardrooms, there's plenty of drama managing risk, managing growth, or even managing politics, managing malicious competition. These are the boardroom dynamics that scare the timid away. But as mothers, we've all been well trained in the boot camp at home. Emotionally, women are naturally more resilient than men. A man can be more decisive, while women tend to be more conscientious and more considerate. They have different strengths in terms of emotion. That's why women roles are so important. I believe that the ideal scenario is to have both men and women together side by side. Men and women are like the two wings of a bird and it takes both to fly high. Now can the hand that rocks the cradle also rock the ballroom? In my case, the answer is yes. You can do both, but the underlying issue is that you need to want it. You need to have a PhD. What does PhD stands for? P stands for poor, H stands for hungry, D stands for determined. We have plenty of PhDs in our boardroom. Some of you may say, if what I say is true, why are there not more women in the boardroom? Than men, or as many as men. It is true that even though we are seeing a stronger female presence in the corporate world today, admittedly boardrooms are still largely controlled by men. It only reminds us that we still have a long way to go. A debate like today is a perfect vehicle to remind women that that women that we possess all of the capabilities necessary to do both. Rock the cradle and the boardroom, I applaud Intelligence's Square to choose this topic for debate today. Itself is a great support to women's advancement in the society. Thank you all, and vote no. no.
2: Thank you. So, You've heard the arguments for and against um, in the motion. The hand that rocks the cradle cannot rock the boardroom. So we're going to hear from our audience. But before I do that, let me share with you what the audience here in Hong Kong voted on this motion as they were coming into the hall before they heard our speakers. So this is how you all voted. <laughs> Don't know, 19%. For the motion, 21%. And so far, against the motion, going with Helena and Shin, is 60%. So, the for the motion. You've got a real uphill struggle here, haven't you, ladies? So, uh, it'll be very interesting to see how many of the don't-knows, the 19% you have managed to bring to your side, and how many you've been able to capture ...from this massive uh, 60%. So all to play for. Don't, don't lose heart. All right. So audience, um, let me uh, now ask you to um, put your comments and your questions... ...and please be as brief and to the point as you can... ...and please wait for the microphone to come to you. So lady there at the back, stand and make your point. Thank you. What do we do as an audience or as, you know, as wives, as parents today to change the role and expectations that we have of fathers and of mothers, such
1: that that enables us to do better, um, you know, with our lives. Thank you. Okay.
2: Next one, please. Yeah. So you need to want to do it to make them hungry and determined. Um, what, in your opinion, are the most effective mechanisms for raising the expectations young girls today have of themselves to do that? Okay, thank you.
3: My question is: How do we encourage corporate cultures to accommodate differences for women in the workplace and successfully suit their needs so they can make it to the boardroom? Thank you.
0: Uh, hi, I have a question for Ms. Zhang Xing. I am um, a young associate at an international law firm, and I'm trying to make it. Um, at the same time, um, at the same time, I face and combat the daily questions from my relatives: When are you getting married? When are going to give birth to a baby? Uh, So my question is for Ms. Zhang Singh. Does your overseas experience um, play any part in your um, decision and mentality in um, uh, life and career balance? Thank you.
2: Thanks very much indeed. Okay, let's get... (laughs) So, Shin, why don't you answer that question about the young lady facing pressures to get married and when are you going to get married and have children, that kind of pressure?
4: Well, you just... Don't pay attention to the pressure. Pressure is always going to be there. It's, if it's not this one, there will be other pressures, right? You stay at home, there will be other pressure. So I think you just need to be, remember the PhD. You've got to have a PhD. Stay hungry, stay determined. And actually, to uh, the other lady's questions, is, you know, how, do you, how do you tell your children, your young girls, to stay hungry and determined? There's no better way than you yourself being the role model. That is the most effective way. I,
1: I spend my life surrounded by 2,500 young women. And, and the problem I see is not that they're not hungry enough. It's that they're too hungry almost. Mm-hmm. The problem is I think we've actually raised their expectations almost too high. Because when they don't have perfect lives and perfect jobs, they feel like they've failed. So I think we need to raise them hungry but realistic.
3: Right. Can I just pick up the young woman's point about the pressure to have children? A third of our brightest, most gifted Young women will never find a convenient time to take time out of the office to go off and perpetuate the human race. That is because the corporate structure is inimical to people, to young women, being able to have children. It is hostile but to we can't. But, Alison, I does don't. that
2: mean childless women do better?
3: Well, of course it means childless women do better because they are, you know, they, they can de facto act as their male colleagues. That is an amazing, a shocking and horrifying statistic.
0: Helen, is she right? Well, no, I don't think so, no. The... Um, I mean, the, 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 motion today is the hand that rocks the cradle cannot rock the boardroom, and it doesn't say whether the hand is male or female. And I, and there is this presumption that's pervading all throughout this that it actually is all about women. One of the things about the role model point that's come up, um, in the questioning, um, and also about father's education. I, d- I remember asking and realising, you know, you think I have a realisation that you might have an impact on young women. Um, I remember asking my middle son, I have three sons and six daughters, um, when he's about eight or nine, what he wanted to do when he grew up. And he looked at me really puzzled, and he said, well, I thought I'd stay at home like Dad. So there are, there are other, you know, we are setting, we are setting this, this carving out. Okay, you know. yeah. Shin. It's, it's more than one Shin, path. Shin, I mean...
2: You're a very rich woman. You're a billionaire. Does that help you uh, say that you can do both, rock the cradle and the boardroom?
4: Well, I don't think it takes money to do both. It takes determination. It takes hunger. And I still believe that's the most important thing, that, you know... I don't know where the statistic of one third, uh, a quarter of the college women decided not to have children is related to them working in the corporate environment. And the number might even be high if they decided to stay at home. You just don't know, right? It's just a number. No, no, no. It's very definitely women going into the workplace and then
3: finding that they can't have children because there's no particular point in their career development when it's, it's uh, permissible or they won't be penalized for going out. It's very, very difficult once you stop to go back in. Very, oh, should, very difficult. Difficult.
2: You said in your opening statement that that kind of view is a bit old-fashioned. That was the phrase That's you used. Very is old Alison fashioned.
4: being old-fashioned? Tell her being tell old if fashioned. you think she is. Is she being old-fashioned? Not only being old-fashioned, also it's irrelevant. We live in the world with so much help. You, know, you don't need to cook today. If you don't want to cook, you can order food, right? There are lots of ways of living that it does not look like we're still living in the village, that everything has to be done by one pair of hands.
2: All right, De- Deborah and Alison, because there was that comment about... Yeah. Your view is a bit old-fashioned. Also, from the floor, we had somebody saying about encouraging a change in corporate culture. Corporate culture is changing a bit uh, to th- be more
1: flexible, isn't I it? Think, I think we, we tend to lump together all of corporate if you work in mergers and acquisitions, if you're billing hours, you kind of have to be behind a desk 50 or 60 hours a week. Now, there may be some... Hopefully, we can change that. And I think this is where men have to get involved. I'm very encouraged by how many men are in this audience. This is a really good sign. Um, we We will all live in a better place if we can start to shift the workplace. But I also think we have to be realistic. And bear in mind, we spent millennia, with one organization of society. And it worked. Marx was right. There was a very good division of labor. One partner went out and made the money, hunted the whatever, and the other partner stayed home and took care of the children. It wasn't fair, but it worked. Can
4: I disagree with that? Deborah, it is true that... With, you know, if you charge hours, you need to think differently, right? You need to work differently. But bear in mind, how does the work p- pattern become like this? It's because if they were designed by men. If there are more women at the top, it will change. It won't be the same. We in the company, our, our company, went public in 2007. It's grown its equity base at 160%. Nobody stays in the office after seven or eight, unless this is like a few, you know, eight, you know, special moments. Generally, people go home for dinners. It's because we, our company is run by 50% women, and 50% men. Until you have that, you will not change the pattern of work.
2: All right, okay, let's go to the audience. Now, a lady here, if you stand, please, and make your comments. And briefly, if you would, all of your audience. Mm. Um,
4: my question is, why do Helena and Jan need to do it now? Why can't you encourage women back into the boardroom after they've had their children. These are talented women that we are losing. Women like Helena and Jan should be trying to encourage those women back into the boardroom, and it isn't happening. Uh,
2: My question is for you, Alison Pearson. Um, First of all, I don't know if it's just me, but I'm shocked and devastated to learn the truth about the toilet paper fairy. (laughs) (laughs) So the question is, you described this amazing sweep of history from your grandmother... 13 years old going into service from the Welsh Valleys to your daughter now applying for the best and greatest schools in the world. But somehow, you seem to suggest that the sweep of history and the social change that's happened in three generations that's allowed women to have the choices that they have today and created the chances for some to go all the way to be CEOs, some to do both, has suddenly stopped. Why? Okay. Oh, just a sec. We'll come to that.
4: Yep. Hi. I work for an organization that tracks the women on boards of Hong Kong companies, on the Hang Seng Index companies. And there's good news and there's bad news. The good news is the numbers are trending in the right direction. The bad news is things are moving at a glacial pace.
2: So why is change taking so long? Okay, thanks. All right, indeed. Um, Alison, let's just take that point, first of all. You spoke very movingly about your grandmother and your daughter doing very well. Why do you think social change has just suddenly stopped
3: well, I, 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 don't, I don't think it has stopped to answer your question. I just think we're, we're part of an experiment. I mean, we, you know, it, it's not been very long. I mean, you know, my grandmother got the vote, what was it, 1928. This is very, very early days in terms of the great role of centuries. And I just want to speak for Deborah and I here, if I may, which is that we are not saying in any way that women aren't talented or don't deserve every opportunity that's going. We absolutely do. I'm not being pessimistic. I'm just trying to say that there are children here. My daughter doesn't want a role model. My daughter said to me when she was little, why can't the weeks be the weekend's mummy so the mummies can see the children more? You've got children here. You don't just have children and farm them out to somebody hoping that they'll turn into well-balanced human beings. I don't think you
2: do. What about that point about... (laughs) The good news is, at least looking at these figures in Asia, things are moving in the right direction, but at a glacial speed. so, so, is oh, that, is
4: that
1: a, I, I mean, think. that's a bit encouraging, ladies, isn't it? It's, well, glacial is not an encouraging <laughs> word, but, but, <laughs> but, I, but I do think we are moving in the right direction. It's much slower than, than any of us in this room would like, but it is moving. And, and I think the more conversations we have along the lines, the better. I think I, I completely agree with Shin's point. Getting more women at the top will start to change the dynamic. But, of course, we're stuck here. Because if, if we're we're in a you know a cycle, unless we get more women through the middle ranks, that's where we're losing them. All right, we won't get to the
2: top. Let's just uh, there was so, one question from the audience which yeah. said, women are actually better after they've well, had children at juggling things. Because you things. end
0: up to having to work out your priorities, and you know I used to work sort of six am till nine pm and do only the hours between six and eight and. Seven and nine in terms of real serious work. There was a lot of, you know, hang about and chatting and so forth. And you get more focus. And just very quickly, how do you outsource? What do you decide to outsource? Is it you get the
2: takeaway
1: meals? you get the (laughs) the nannies or or what? I think that's such a wonderful question because I think so many women, and this goes to, I think, Helen or Shin's point, women don't outsource enough. You know, we, we want to make the perfect meal and, and plump the perfect pillows. The more you can outsource, the better. But with a huge caveat, money helps here. Let's be honest. We are talking about a rich person's problem. Okay. But the one part you can't outsource is the children. And I think one of the, one of the traps we all fall into is we think that it gets easier as they get, get older. It actually gets harder. All right. Why? And this. In response to that question about the glacial
2: speed at which things are moving in the right direction, but very slowly, why is the pace so slow, do you think? Why is it so difficult to get a change in corporate culture? Could
0: I just mention that we've had a really exciting breakthrough in the UK in the last three years. Um, So we've had the Lord Davis Review and then the 30% Club um, started about three years ago. And what we've seen is a real sort of change in mindset. So this is not seen as a women's issue now, it's seen as a business issue. And just give a flavour, in 2012, for of the FTSE board appointments went to women, or 49% if I'm going to be called up on it. But really, that's a huge change. Um, And I think there's a realisation now that businesses are better to have better gender balance throughout.
2: Okay, more questions, please, from the floor. Yes, please do stand, make your comments.
4: Hi, I'm here with a bunch of girlfriends and uh, most of them are lawyers. Uh, some are partners in a law firm we 've got eighteen kids between us, and I know that all of us every day wonder if we 're doing the right thing and I think Helena and Shin have um, said that they are incontrovertible proof that you can have it all, but I mean I wonder whether you 've been a good mother or not is something that you don 't know now, and this may be a question that you have to put to your children so Do you ever question your conviction and wonder if there is a hidden cost that you're not going to know until the next generation?
2: Mm. We'll have you both stretched out on the psychologist chair in a minute. (laughs) Just a minute. Okay, and you. Okay, another point from the floor, please. Yeah, please.
3: I am not a CEO.
2: (laughs) Um, And
3: I agree with um, all four of you on your views. They're all very relevant of how you can do it or why you can't do it. But uh, you haven't really addressed how do you be a a committed mother and be able to succeed in the workplace. And I think the key here is... um, as Alison said, flexible working, um, and how many of these boardrooms allow flexible working, and what can we do to change that?
2: Thank you. We, we had a, a very pertinent point there, which is we're all talking about this as though there was some choice in the matter. Some women who are mothers have to work no, out of necessity, no, 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 no. so don't make them feel too bad about it, ladies. Yeah. So what do you do to try to encourage more flexible working patterns part-time if necessary?
3: What do I do? I've been doing it for twelve years, so yeah. so
2: you work part time. That's how you make no, it work I, for you? no. I
3: don't work part time, but I am very flexible because I'm a writer, and I, you know, if you're an academic or whatever, it's very, very different from having to get out of the house. And although at about, um, you know, sort of twenty to eight in my house, I always say that if they had those um, CCTV cameras, my children would be taken away by the authorities because it's <laughs> there's a lot of yelling and uh, and shouting. But yeah, I think the key to this is far more flexible working and. Um, as the question said from the audience, is women being allowed to come back you know, having some time out with their kids and then still not being discarded, not being treated as though they're of no consequence at all. Anyone here who's been a mother for a number of years will know that going back to the office is a doddle compared to being at home Mm. with three toddlers, basically, you know.
1: (laughs) At at the risk of sounding like the academic I am, I mean, I think it really is useful to put this in historical perspective. Briefly. Because for years, yeah, we presumed, (laughs) I promise, we presumed the absent father was the good father. That was the model. The father was absent. So we're just trying to shift the model now. And I think we're, this is part of the change, you getting change. to a point where, where it's, it's normal for the dad to say, I have to leave and go to the ballet recital. Right. We're not there yet, but that's where we need to start pushing towards. We
2: had a question from a lawyer who said, can women have it yeah. all? And are and, uh, you well, too, Helena and about... Shin, not, you know, perhaps storing up problems for the future. Do mm-hmm. your children think... You are good mothers, even though you spend a lot of time. In the Does anyone's
1: room? children think, think they're, they're a good, good mother? <laughs> yeah. I'm going to ask you
2: too.
0: So um, I know what mine would say
1: uh, when they're yeah, teenagers.
0: So you, you will have to ask them, obviously. But I do think, I mean, your question did make me feel a bit sad. It's like you're beating yourself up. And we've got to stop beating ourselves up. I mean, would, am I a good mother? I hope so, but I do the best I can. And I know that if I was at home, I'd probably be a worse mother um, if I was full-time. And, you know, you've got to, we, I don't feel guilt-free. There are always issues where you think, oh, I wish I could do this, I wish I could do that. But the time and the energy that you're spending worrying about that, instead of actually being there for your child or being there at work, is just like a, a pointless exercise. So I, I just would implore women to be less critical of yourself I would, and yeah.
3: I, I, sorry yeah. my answer to you would be different which would be there comes a point when you have to listen to your heart okay children change your heart if you feel if you get to a point where you feel that you are not seeing enough of them i would listen to your heart don't always just bludgeon on it's hunger isn't just enough children sometimes sure. they need to be heard too
2: deborah do your all three children think you're a good mother it depends what day
1: that you ask them. But, but, but I will say, we, we need all of us to stop being so judgmental. I don't think anyone's figured out what, what it takes to be a good mother, or much right. less a perfect mother.
2: Shin, do your boys think you're a good mother?
4: I'm pretty sure they do. Oh, Very nice. <laughs>
2: Wait till they're teenagers. <laughs> yeah, you know what? I know my children. You know, my
4: always... 15-year-old teenager, who's away at a uh, boarding school now, calls me, or I call him, nearly every day. That's how close we are. And you know But what? he's away. <laughs> <laughs> my Just children saying. always
2: think I'm Is a good that mother and I give them something.
1: That's, that's definitely outsourcing. That's international outsourcing. <laughs>
3: I went, I went to a school event once and uh, it was a horrifying event because the teacher said, and the children are now going to read out statements about their mothers for Mother's Day. Can you imagine? I mean, like one of the worst things in human history. So my son stood up and said, my mummy does not work. She's a writer, which was, you know. And then another little boy stood up and said, my mummy's favourite things are shouting chocolate and going out.
2: Oh, wow. You know what? I'm sure you're all lovely mothers oh, and no, highly successful uh, women. So, I think that we can now get the uh, result for the uh, vote on this intelligence squared debate. The motion let me remind you once more is the hand that rocks the cradle cannot rock the boardroom. Quick, quick, quick. I need the result. We're all desperate to find out what it is. Thank you so much. We're getting stress related right. illnesses yeah, So, Let me remind you what the vote was before we heard our four speakers make their uh, arguments to you. So before you heard what they had to say, I don't know was 19% of the audience here in Hong Kong. For the motion was 21% and against the motion was a massive 60%. Now, this is how you have uh, decided now the final vote the don't know is 1% the undecided that's gone massively down from 19% to 1% so who managed to sway more voters before the motion or against this is how the results stacked up against the motion 48% for the motion 51 percent not Not much in it in the end just three percent so um i don't think there is a commiseration actually it's well done to both sides you did very well indeed. You managed to sway quite a lot of people. Only 3% at the end yeah, but was... Uh, De-
3: Deborah and I, I'm going to speak it. for Deborah and I, and we want to say we, we're all on the same side, you <laughs> yeah. know? Uh, well, yeah, sure.
2: That's very, very true. Yeah. Yeah. Alison Pearson there saying, actually, there's a great deal of agreement. Of I think, uh, actually, panellists, uh, you probably all agree with that, that... Uh, we still need a lot more change than we have yeah. seen. I think everybody agrees that the glass ceiling is being shattered a bit, but it needs to be destroyed. needs to be destroyed. Thank you very much indeed to the panel and to the audience here in Hong Kong for this Intelligence Square debate. And by the way, I should say it's five years of Intelligence Square in Asia, so congratulations to them too. From me, Zainab Badawi, and everyone here in Hong Kong, goodbye.